More than 100 days into the Israel-Hamas war, nearly 2 million have been displaced and almost 24,000 people have been killed in the Gaza Strip. 10,000 of them were children. The humanitarian catastrophe continues in the besieged enclave, but violent fighting is widely expected to continue for many more months, if not a year. This is as the Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu vowed to keep fighting until Hamas is completely destroyed. And this, as a conflict centered around Gaza, now spills into other parts of the Middle East. To help us understand where the raging conflict stands and where we're headed next, we're joined by a professor of history and peace studies at the University of Notre Dame, Professor Asher Kaufman now joins us via Zoom. Good morning and thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Uh, can we start with probably the big question? Do you see the Israel-Hamas war ending anytime soon? No, unfortunately, I don't see it any, anytime ending anytime soon. I see a, a slight transformation in uh, the war. It's already happening uh, the Israeli military has scaled down its uh, operations inside the Gaza Strip and uh, it has become a little bit more surgical in its uh, military activities in uh, the Strip. So that uh, we see a transformation in the intensity of uh, the fighting, but uh, I don't see that war uh, changing. And as you have already indicated, there are increasing chances that uh, we will see the region getting more and more involved in this uh, war. Uh, Dr. Kaufman, uh, I would like to make the comparison to other conflicts and wars in the region. You, you've carried out extensive research on the history and conflicts in the Middle East at large. Is this war the worst the world has seen in recent memory? I mean, I, I suppose there are many measurable standards, but what is your two cents? Yeah, I mean, first, um, in comparison to other conflicts, other wars within this uh, Israeli-Palestinian or Arab-Israeli conflict, <clears throat> this is likely only comparable to the 1948 war in terms of uh, intensity and number of uh, casualties. Uh, no other war, no other uh, conflict between the parties since 48 has reached this level of intensity. Mm -hmm. What is unique about this uh, conflict is that uh, Probably October 7th was the most violent day in the history of the conflict since it started in the late 19th century. Mm. So that makes this that day really, really unique. The level of violence and the kind of violence that we saw on October 7th has no parallel in the history of this uh, conflict. And uh, from that moment on, from October 7th to the present, uh, the intensity of violence has definitely increased. But I think we should also recognize, acknowledge the fact that the Arab-Israeli conflict and specifically Israel-Palestine is not the most violent conflict in the history of the 20th or the 21st century. Actually, from the perspective of casualties, uh, it is uh, not the most violent uh. conflict that we uh, you just think about the the casualties in you know in ethiopia in the civil war in ethiopia in the last uh, few years uh, the civil war in uh, syria we are talking about uh, hundreds of thousands of deaths in just these two civil wars in recent years and the israeli-palestinian conflict from the moment it began until this present we are 
around 150,000 uh, deaths, casualties. So I think that needs to be reminded to viewers, uh, observers of this conflict who think about it as extremely violent. It is definitely the most reported uh, conflict in the world. Uh, but it is not the most violent conflict in the world. And maybe that's because more countries have stakes in it, the complexity of the Middle East, uh, many other players who are involved, Western and otherwise. Right. And I'm, I'm glad you, you fact-checked there for us because it is also the nature of media to report on what seems to be more high stakes and relatable to us or what affects us more. And so thank you for so much for making that comparison. Now, I think one of the biggest difficulties of reporting on the Middle East or talking about it is the sheer complexity of it. Once you start to go deep, uh, there's a lot of history there. Who plays on which side and which groups arise? Uh, uh, so I want to start with maybe uh, a talk on the Hezbollah. Uh, tensions keep escalating between Israel and the Iran-backed Hezbollah after that's Israel's killing of the Hezbollah commander on January 8th. Uh, the group is considered to be among the most heavily armed non-state groups in the world. It's estimated to have 10 times the military capability of Hamas. Can you tell us a little bit about who they are and why is it important to note the, the drone attack specifically? Um, yeah, well, Hezbollah has been involved in this uh, war since October 8th. In fact, the day after the Hamas terror attack inside Israel, Hezbollah joined uh, the war by beginning a... Uh, uh, border skirmishes uh, along the Israeli-Lebanese uh, border and they were doing that in order to uh, add another front to Israeli military challenges and to the, uh, take some of the Israeli military capabilities and uh, draw them to the, to the north of the country and take them away from the Gaza uh, front. And they have been doing that consistently since October 8th. Uh, they have managed to uh, get the Israeli population north of the uh, at the northern border away from uh, that area. So uh, close to a hundred thousand Israelis are now evacuated from the northern border because of uh, because of concern to be attacked by uh, Hezbollah. So Hezbollah is a militia come party, political party that has been uh, in existence in Lebanon in 1982. It was formed in the context or in uh, the support of uh, the Iranian uh, regime uh, in 82 and has uh, made it uh, its raison d'etre to fight uh, Israel, uh, including a call for the destruction of Israel as a Jewish state. And uh, on October 8th, they made that decision to support Hamas through this uh, engagement with uh, Israel. The risk of war between Israel and uh, Hezbollah is immense because Israel has the capacity to destroy Lebanon, uh, to destroy the infrastructure in Lebanon. But Hezbollah has a similar capacity to wreak havoc uh, inside Israel as well. This is something that has never happened in uh, the Arab-Israeli, the history of these Arab-Israeli wars. So if that happened, that could be really devastating. Mm. And it could draw other players into this uh, war because Israel is not going to let uh, Hezbollah just uh, engage in a war between Israel and Hezbollah, but would likely also uh, draw Iran and Syria into the, the fray. 
But would it be in the interest of either Israel or Hezbollah to escalate conflict to that level? Wouldn't both sides want to back down before it gets even close to that point? I think I think this is why we don't we have not seen yet a full blown war because both parties realize how destructive it would be to their side. Mm. I think if there was a sense that it could be, you know, that the other side would be destroyed, but not our side, you would see an immediate uh, uh, war. But uh, what you see between Israel and Hezbollah is a mutual deterrence mm. uh, and the fear that uh, both the, the, the our side would be devastated by this uh, war. But, you know, wars and the start of wars have their own uh, dynamics. And uh, inside Israel, there is a, a strong lobby in favor of war against Hezbollah, uh, with the concern that if you don't do it now, you might need to do it in the future. There is also a great push from uh, the population along the northern border with Lebanon that is demanding to go back home. But they would not go back home so long as Hezbollah militias, uh, militia men are positioned, uh, deployed along the border with uh, Israel. So there is push inside Israel by certain sectors to go to war uh, against Hezbollah. Uh, and the prime minister, uh, the Israeli prime minister, has a clear interest to continue the state of war for his own political uh, reasons. Mm. Uh, Hezbollah recently rejected U.S. proposals for cooling a fighting with Israel. Do they still remain open to U.S. diplomacy to avoid a, a full-scale regional war? What does Hezbollah want? And how far do you think they would go to retaliate the killing of their commanders? Yeah, well, they've already retaliated uh, on the killing of their commanders, at least what they've been doing so far. But this retaliation also shows us that for now, they are not interested in a full-scale war okay. uh, because uh, their retaliation was limited and uh, did not cross certain red lines uh, that both parties, Israel and Hezbollah, have been playing, according to. Uh, there has been an attempt by the Americans to have some negotiated agreement where Israel and Lebanon would uh, agree on certain territorial disputes along their border. And in exchange for that agreement, Hezbollah would withdraw its forces uh, north of uh, the Litani River, which is about uh, uh, 20 kilometers uh, uh, north of the border between Israel and uh, Lebanon. That has not been uh, successful. Uh, Hezbollah rejected the uh, American proposal, but at the same time said that uh, they are open to other diplomatic uh, proposals. So we see again Hezbollah on the one hand, on the one hand uh, determined to uh, in its opposition to the agreement that the United States proposed, but at the same time saying that they are currently do not want to start a full war with Israel and are willing to entertain other political uh, proposals. Uh, Professor Kaufman, how could the peaking tensions between Israel and Hezbollah affect the ongoing Israel and Hamas war at large? I mean, uh, as as I said, from October 8th, half of the Israeli army had to be deployed in the north and uh, instead of uh, full focus on uh, the south. Uh, you know, Israel's main uh, war goals as you have already stated, was mm -hmm. to get rid of uh, 
Hamas as an organization and to bring the hostages out of the Gaza Strip. That has not happened yet. If a war between Israel and Hezbollah starts, these two main strategic goals would become secondary or marginal to the bigger war that might erupt that would really be devastating for Israel and for Lebanon. So there is a direct link there. It is also tied to Iranian uh, interests in uh, the Middle East, mm. which are becoming more and more complicated. We see Iran now engaged in uh, uh, military skirmishes in Syria, in Iraq, in Pakistan, all in an attempt to demonstrate its own uh, resolve in a region that is becoming more and more unstable uh, as we speak. Which brings us to our next question. Another Iran-backed rebel group, the Houthis, also entered the picture. Uh, who are they and why are they attacking commercial vessels in the Red Sea? Well, the Houthis are a movement, a militia, a political organization centered mainly in uh, northern uh, Yemen. They emerged uh, as a very powerful uh, militia during the Yemenite uh, civil war in the last uh, decade. Now they control uh, the last, the large, uh, large part of the uh, Yemenite uh, uh, regions that are uh, with the largest population uh, centers, and uh, they uh, are supported, have been supported by uh, by Iran for uh, more than a decade in this uh, Yemenite and regional war that involves both Iran and Saudi Arabia in uh, Yemen. And Yemen, uh, for your listeners, I mean, is is located strategically in a really, really sensitive uh, site, uh, the Bab al-Mandab Straits that uh, lead to the Suez Canal, where more than 20% of uh, maritime commerce uh, goes through. So that place where Yemen is is located has the capacity to disrupt uh, global uh, commerce through the control of uh, these uh, straits, and this is exactly what they are doing now. Mm. They are trying to prevent uh, uh, ships that are destined to go to Israel, uh, but they've also blocked other ships uh, in that uh, straits. Mm. Uh, and their argument is that so long as uh, uh, Israel engaged uh, engages in this uh, war in uh, Gaza, they would continue and disrupt uh, global uh, Uh, global trade Mm. yeah so that's a huge uh, strategic problem for the world not only for uh, for Israel and this is why the United States and Britain have created this international force to try and uh, uh, prevent them from uh, doing so so far they have not been too successful Mm. the American uh, led uh, alliance Mm. Professor Kaufman, uh, just within our conversation, uh, I feel like I, I I can guess the answer to our final question today. But do you see a, a foreseeable diplomatic solution going forward, perhaps a, a deal between the United States and Iran? Could they broker something? I think this is one of the key questions. You know, it's the million dollar question. Uh, at the end of the day, uh i think this conflict has to be and uh, has to end through some international diplomacy involving the major international uh, players including the united states and iran it may not 
be we may not be able to see direct negotiations between them between them but indirect negotiations that could lead to the end of fighting because it seems to me that it's not in anybody's interest currently to start a regional war involving the US and Iran Israel Hezbollah other players I don't think this is the interest of any of these players so there is a great concern and also great pressure to find some kind of a political solution that would end uh, this uh, this war thank you very much professor Kaufman for taking time out of your busy schedule to speak with us thank you very much thank you for inviting me If you're listening to our program using the podcast service, just a reminder that we do go live Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. Korea Standard Time. So tune in and help us make the show more informative by giving us your input. See you bright and early on Good Morning Seoul.